Welcome to the KSL Court Report. Ben Anderson, Andy Larson, jumping in again on the road in San Francisco. Are you in San Francisco or Oakland? Technically, where are you right now? No, I am in San Francisco because the Jazz Hotel is there. So, And that's where they're doing all their practices and shoot-arounds. So that's, that's where my home camp is just because it's, it's easier and saves me a bunch of trips across the bay that way. I only have to go over to Oakland for the games themselves. And, and no offense to Oakland, but San Francisco is just a better town. So lucky you being able to stay there instead of having to stay in Oakland. Uh, what 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 did the Jazz do today? I mean, they got in yesterday. I know they did a little bit of a shoot-around yesterday morning. Or I guess they probably got in the night before that. Uh, but they haven't had a ton of time to lay off in between the Game 7 victory over the Clippers. What did today look like? How full of a practice did they get? Yeah, it was, it was a pretty, it was a long shoot-around as, as Jazz shoot-arounds go. You know, they went for about an hour, um, worked on a, you know, a few five-on-zero kind of things, and, and worked on their transition defense, it, it seemed like, especially. Uh, and then, you know, met with the media afterwards. It was, it was Gordon Hayward, Boris Diaw, and Quinn Snyder. What are the practice facilities like? I mean, just as a side note, if you've never yeah. been to the Zions Bank Basketball Center, what, if you've got the tarp down, which cuts the floor in half, you've still got, what, seven hoops, six hoops, eight hoops, something like that. I mean, tons of space to work on tons of different things. I saw a video yesterday, and it looked like there was one full court that they were all shooting on. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, they're at this Equinox Sports Club that, yeah, just has one court with two hoops, and it's the threes are high school or college length. They're not NBA threes. Um, and they, they were going to work out at this Olympic club, which does have a better, you know, they've got more hoops around the edge and all that. Uh, I not, can't remember if it's one or two over there. But then these protests in San Francisco actually prevented the team bus from getting over there. So, uh, and so they moved it to the this Equinox Club, which is right next door to their hotel. And, uh, you know, kind of made do with, with only two hoops. So, uh, yeah, I, I kind of do wonder how that changes practice. I mean, like I said, it's not a very strenuous sort of thing, but it, it is definitely less than they're used to. Well, and again, the Jazz have one of the bigger staffs in, NBA, in the NBA when it comes to coaches. And when you see it at practice, when we get to step in and watch the last few minutes of practice, when the uh, PR staff lets you in, you know, you'll have one guy working on floaters or three guys working on floaters and other guys working on their free throws and other guys working on their corner threes. And they're all kind of have this regimented workout routine to get shots up. And you just can't do that on two hoops. So I don't think, you know, at game, what are we now, 89, 90 into the season? Yeah. It probably doesn't matter so much, but still, it's, it's a break from what you're used to. Uh, and and I'm sure they will be happy to get back to Salt Lake coming up here in a, in a few days and be able to get back into their own courts because now they haven't been home in a long time. I mean, this just turns into a really long road trip playing Game 7 and then two straight games, though there's no two-day breaks. They just go every other night when they're playing now because they did go seven games, which actually can probably come back to hurt the Jazz. I mean, not closing out the Clippers earlier probably cost them an extra day of rest. Yeah, and, you know, maybe that, that helps them. Or maybe, you know, the, the Warriors also have their own injury bug with Matt Barnes is, is probable because of an ankle sprain. Uh, Sean Livingston is questionable, so maybe having less time uh, helps them in some sense. Uh, you know, or would, would, I guess it would help them not recover from those injuries now that we, they may or may not be out in game one. We, and, and actually, if they all play in game one, then it again probably hurt the Jazz. But, uh, yeah, 
oh well, I guess. And, and then <laughs> yeah, watching the Durant to the second round, right? Watching the Durant injury. I mean, I think is something to keep an eye on too, because again, I just I'm not sure your knee gets better after a sprain like that. It gets better next year. I don't think it gets better in six weeks. You may get out there and ready to play, but it doesn't get back to a hundred percent. You just nobody's a hundred percent by the end of the season, much less when you suffer an injury like that that causes you to miss what nearly a month or a significant stretch of time, like Kevin Durant did. Now, Jazz still dealing with their own issues. I think uh, we've seen Rudy has been slowed by that knee, even when he's been on the floor and been back. But Derek Favors is now listed as questionable. Just knee injury again? I mean, just kind of that nagging thing he's been dealing with? No, it's actually it's not the knee injury. It's the back problem okay. he's been naggingly dealing with for the last two years, right? So um, it's a little bit worrying that, that those have popped up again. Not surprising, I don't think. And, you know, I think you still worry about the explosion from the knee, but it's, it's clear that Derek Favors is kind of like a, a broken person at this point in terms of the, the injuries to both the knee and the back that have kind of, it seems like they kind of impact each other in some sense, where the back makes him run differently, which may mean the knee uh, does something, or the knee being injured may make his back feel different. You know, whatever it is, it seems like they're related. Um, and just keep it hard for Derek to be uh, 100% when he's out there on the floor. And he had a tough task in the first round. I mean, he had to fill in a lot for Rudy Gobert and play a lot of minutes that he was not designed to be playing, coming off of an injury, coming back, just trying to rehab himself and get into game shape. He was asked to do a lot going up against guys like DeAndre Jordan and then even Maurice Spates, who's such a, a different type of player, having to chase him around out to the perimeter. That's a lot of work for Derek Favors. The, the fact that the Jazz kind of got that first-round victory because of the way Favors played is pretty miraculous. And this might be the last time we ever see Favors in a, in a Jazz uniform. I mean, honestly, I think ideally that would be the case. If you were to get Dennis Lindsay on some truth serum, they would find a, a better replacement, a good backup to step in at center, and then more of a true stretch power forward who can hit from 18 to 25 feet. Uh, so maybe that is the end for Favors. If he's not healthy, it's going to be harder to move his contract. It's going to be harder to get much return for him. Whereas if you would just end it on how well he played against the Clippers, maybe that would have been a nice thing for the Jazz because the team could go out and say, look, he's he's still a really good player and he can still shoot efficiently and rebound and play decent defense. Yeah, and it, it's funny because I, I don't have a sense of how good of a matchup he is at his current level against the Warriors. I mean, obviously you kind of think that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I also kind of felt that way about the Clippers, that he wouldn't be able to help that much either. And, and he was, you know, really big in probably four of the games in that series. So um, I'm curious to see what he does. He hasn't played against the Warriors this season, right. all three regular season matchups he was out for. So we'll we'll have to see what kind of impact he is able to have if he, if he can kind of stretch or kind of shrink the floor like Chris Paul said and, and make it tough on, on the Warriors' guards, then maybe it makes sense to play him more. So a quick view of the matchups here in the starting lineups for this series, and again, we can go into the depth chart where you're really going to have trouble with guys like Andre Iguodala being able to step up and play Joe Johnson when he steps onto the floor, but the, the matchups one through four in the starting lineup are everyone the, the Warriors have is honestly just a rich man's version of who the Jazz have. I mean, Steph Curry is kind of a score-first guard, a little bit like George Hill. That's not a perfect comparison, but he's obviously a much better player than George Hill is. Clay Thompson is a rich man's, I guess not Joe Ingles, but if you're thinking kind of that Rodney Hood type, the guy who steps out, can be a little bit of a playmaker and certainly shoot the ball. Kevin Durant is certainly a rich man's Gordon Hayward. And then Draymond Green is exactly a rich man's Boris Dio. I mean, that's exactly what you hoped Boris Dio would be if he was this lockdown superstar defensive player and then also kind of super dynamic on the offensive side of the ball. The one area where the Jazz are significantly better is Rudy Gobert versus the center position. 
Rudy Gobert is a rich man's JaVale McGee. Yeah, by, by a huge margin, <laughs> right. But, like, so do you think that's the biggest margin of, of the matchups? Because I might go with, like, Clay Thompson to Rodney Hood or, or Steph Curry to George Hill in terms of those are, you know, top five, top three guys um, who are just, you know, like the, the drop-off from Steph Curry to George Hill is real. Uh, and sure, the, the Rudy Gobert. I mean, I think Rudy's the best center in the NBA, and I think if JaVale or Zaza, whoever's getting minutes, I mean, they're borderline top 25 or top yeah, 20. So I, I think yeah. if you're actually talking about gap in number of players between them, the advantage the Jazz have at center is enormous, and it's much bigger than any other position. But they have four of the five spots that are better, and they're significantly better with the exception of maybe Durant to Hayward. And even then, being the number one guy or number two guy at your position versus being the fourth or the fifth best guy at your position like uh, like Gordon Hayward is, there's a huge gap there because Durant's an all-time great player, arguably top ten if he can finish with a couple of championship rings. I honestly almost might put the Draymond Green for the L difference to be that big. Oh, it, it is. That is. Absolutely. Probably the first or second best power forward in the league. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, and Boris is, yeah, 35th or so, you know. Like 40th, that. yeah, honestly. He's not the best power forward on the Jazz. Right. No. <laughs> and he starts. So, yeah, that's a that's an enormous. He's, he might not even be the third best power forward on the Jazz, or he probably is the third best. So that's where that big of a gap is. And you're right. that That's the, that's the biggest uh, gap in talent. And the Jazz are going to struggle with those matchups throughout the entire series. I mean, that's just how good the Warriors are. What the Jazz have to hope to do is what they did against the Clippers. And again, it's easier to do this. It's easy to slow a game down. It's hard to speed a game up. It's hard to run down and shoot shots and not to expect the other team to just rebound and slowly dribble the ball up the floor. And I expect the Jazz to do that. And they're going to try and limit it to under 100 possessions per game, keep it closer to 90 if they can. And if you can do that and you can keep them from shooting a Houston Rockets like 44% from the three-point line as an entire team, you just try to not lose by 15, 18, 21 points. Yeah, and I, I think it was interesting. Mike Boy of uh, Impredictable had these stats that kind of looked at how quick the Jazz possessions were and how quick the Warriors' possessions were in the three, the three regular season matchups this year. And both of their offenses played at exactly their average for um, what they did for the rest of the season. So the Jazz's was about... 15, 16 seconds of possession, and the Warriors was about 13 seconds of possession yeah. because, you know, they they play very quickly. And so, you know, this idea that the Jazz can slow down what the Warriors can do on offense, and maybe some of that's true, but mostly these teams are dictating and running at their own pace. And, you know, that's why the Warriors won two out of three games this year. Uh, it is worth noting just the massive change from the two teams that each of these teams played in the first round. The Jazz and the Blazers play about as dissimilar as any two teams in the NBA, just as far as what the actual composition of the lineup is. The Jazz are very big, A, whereas the uh, Portland Trailblazers are notoriously pretty small, including starting two true point guards or more point guard-like players in C.J. McCollum and Damian Lillard. They like to live with isolation baskets from those two three-point shots. And then big athletic big men down down low to try and grab some offensive rebounds where the Jazz like to play slower. They're not going to look for George Hill and Joe Ingles threes as first options. You know, they're going to get the ball to Gordon Hayward. All five guys on the floor are ideally going to touch the ball. And that's that's something that, that the Warriors are going to have to adjust for. 
uh, because they haven't seen that yet from the Jazz, and then vice versa. I mean, the Clippers had such a difficult ability getting all five guys involved on the floor, and you're not trying to get Luke Richard and Bob Mute shots. You're trying to do the opposite. They took J.J. Redick out of the game. You're not going to be able to take any of these starting five or even one through four from the Warriors out of the game. They're too good of a passing team. They're too smart spacing the ball. They're all going to touch it. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. Um, and I think, you know, you, you look at the Trailblazers. And you, I, I, let's look last year at, at what teams gave the Warriors problems, and it was the teams with big, sturdy big men who could rebound and uh, get kind of second-chance points. Uh, and, and so, you know, Stephen Adams, Dennis Cantu for the Thunder gave, gave the Warriors a surprising amount of problems. And then, uh, then Tristan Thompson for the Cavs, just with his offensive rebounding prowess, I think the Jazz may be able to get some second-chance points just from Rudy Gobert being longer and taller than, than the Warriors and, and then finishing at the rim. Even two years ago, remember Timothy Mozgov was really good in the yeah. finals uh, and yeah. gave them issues because they have a tr- they have trouble playing truly big guys. And Rudy Gobert's the best truly big guy in the NBA right now. You know, rebounder, dunker, if he's healthy. And that's actually where you'd like to get favors back because he can play a little bit of that role as well. He can be a rebounder and he can be a guy who scores efficiently around the rim when his knee's feeling good or if his back is feeling good. That's some place where I think the Jazz can have success, some success success i'm not anticipating a series victory here for the jazz you know i wasn't anticipating it against the clippers the jazz surprised me obviously losing blake griffin was a huge help for the jazz i just think this this warriors team really is truly an all-time great roster i think the jazz have achieved a ton already getting to the second round of the playoffs and now you just you get this new litmus test of what it takes to play against teams like this and then you go back in the offseason you rebuild there is value to playing a team like this knowing that the jazz are still trying to figure out how to piece together this roster it says a lot that the Warriors are favored by 13 points tonight. Yeah. Their average I mean, margin of victory was 18 points against the Blazers. 18 points. That's insane. Yeah. That's, well, you know, and, and then the Jazz are a good playoff team, right? Like yeah. the, the Blazers were very iffy during the season, and so I get that. But against the Jazz, you know, who are a good playoff team who will slow the pace down, and they're, the Warriors are still favored by 13 points. It, it, like, you know, and it's probably, it could be, it's a 50-50 chance of that it's more than that. I mean, I, I think that just speaks to how good the Warriors are in every facet of the game. Yeah, with how slow the Jazz play, to have a double-digit uh, spread like that, it's hard because that means they are still scoring super efficiently in 90 possessions. They're not going out and kind of bumping up the score by getting a bunch of possessions. That's something to keep an eye on. If the Jazz can control the pace, even in this Game 1 where the Jazz should be exhausted coming off of a Game 7, they have had no time to go home while the Warriors have been super rested and preparing for both the Jazz and the Clippers by being able to watch these games. The Jazz should get rolled in this game. I mean, everything points to the Jazz not being able to compete here, and I think that's okay. You would like to to stay close if you can, control the pace a little bit, and if you lose, you're expected to lose, and, and that's probably going to be the case. Yeah, and, and see if you can figure out, you know, learn something about what the Warriors want to do or, you know, if there's something that you can take away or get some something you can build off of for games two. And, you know, of course, you'd like to try to win game one like you did in the Clippers series and, and get this get this one now. But even if you don't, I think there are ways you can build on it for, for games to come. If you would like to sponsor this show, the KSL Court Report, you can email Andy at alarson at ksl.com, alarson at ksl.com. 
really great rates, guys. It's it's easy to do. We would love to work with you, get the name of your company or your business here on this podcast. We're getting great listenership. The numbers are certainly climbing as we go throughout the playoffs and get into the draft. So again, email Andy at alarson at ksl.com. You can tweet at Andy, at Andy B. Larson on Twitter. If you have questions you'd like him to answer on this podcast that we're trying to do daily for you, or you can also hit me up on Twitter at Ben K. Fan. Andy, any other thoughts kind of before we get this second round series started? Yeah, no, I, I think there's a lot to look for um, tonight in terms of in terms of pace and, and really how the Jazz deal with the you know the, the Warriors superstars. There are going to be games in the series where just the Warriors make a ton of difficult shots and win the game because they're very very good. I think you're looking to see if the Jazz can win any games in which they are either missing shots or can keep the game close despite that. And you know, a, a win or two in this series it counts as a success given that Vegas seems to think it'll just be a Warrior sweep. Uh, Rudy is going to have a huge impact in the series because he takes away the rim, and that's where the Warriors are so good. Even though they love to shoot the three, they still like to get in, get layups, especially once you've started to spread your defense out, trying to stop the three. That's yeah, when they, they have the, the league's best two-point percentage, too. So that, that's so when like, they kill you. Right, they right. kill you by slashing to the basket, and then they kind of cut your throat by shooting the three. I mean, it's not pretty, but that's that's why they do it. It is it's pretty to watch. It's not fun to think about, but Rudy can have an impact on that because he can take away so much of the rim because he is the best rim protector in the NBA. Uh, and then on the offensive side of the ball, they don't have anyone to match up with him, and that's why he averaged right. 16 points and 17 rebounds and shot almost 80% in the three games he played against him this year. He just was really, really dominant, and he shot miserably from the free throw line in these games. So if he can improve that, he could really be a guy who has numbers similar to what we saw from uh, DeAndre Jordan in the last series. I mean, he can be a near 2020 guy throughout this entire series, and you can see him kind of become that superstar again at the highest level of the NBA. Yeah, so long as he can move well and is, is healthy enough, which I don't know that we saw in Game 7. I mean, certainly not in Game 7 with only 14 minutes yeah. to play, but even you know, really anything besides Game 4, I thought he was fairly iffy in. Um, and if he can, you know, get back to the Rudy Gobert we all know and love, that'll that'll help Jazz out a lot. And maybe that game seven, being in foul trouble, only playing 13 minutes, maybe there's some upside there. I mean, he just did not yeah. get as much wear. He's almost had three days rest now, four days rest by not having to play hardly at all in that game. Running and you up know and down he's the mad floor. about it. He's mad about it, right. So the Jazz love that because he's one of the few players that really plays better when he gets angry. We're going to be back with you tomorrow with a recap on Game 1. Jazz trying to get a victory on the road in Oakland over the Golden State Warriors in the Western Conference semifinals. Catch us again tomorrow. It's the KSL Court Report with Andy Larson. I'm Ben Anderson. And, guys, we will be talking to you again probably similarly around this time mid-afternoon tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. 